Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks. Well, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And uh, Cameron, I cannot tell you how giddy I am about our topic today. We finally, we finally got one in the strike zone for me here. Uh, yeah, if you could see his smile, it's huge. <laughs> I try to be an eternal optimist, but I'm definitely an optimist about this topic. So what we want to cover today, and, and we have the perfect guest to do so, but what we want to cover today, it is as we're approaching harvest for most of our, you know, row crop side of things, uh, trade territory, um, we want to talk a little bit about cover crop planting decisions uh, maybe the decision to plant cover crops and then kind of get into the, some of the nuts and bolts of why and where and when and how all that kind of shakes out. And so who we've got with us today, uh, we've got David Doctorian, who is uh, the Assistant State Conservationist for Partnerships and Initiatives. If I got that right, that's a mouthful. Right. has nothing to do with cover crops, but I'm going to let you give the background as to, as to why you're sitting here. <laughs> well, you know, it, uh, it's funny, initiatives... Uh, for us does actually uh, fall to soil health. Soil health is an initiative for NRCS, so it, it sort of connects. Uh, but the real connection is that Adam and I have worked together on soil health issues uh, over the past few years because I was, was a soil health specialist uh, in the northeast part of the state uh, for several years before I moved into this position, and we collaborated on some workshops and, and different events. So uh, that's the connection and uh, you know, once you once you see the value of soil health, regenerative agriculture, cover crops, and all these things, it's hard to get away from it. Yeah, yep, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, David was being very, uh, really showing a lot of humility in his uh, <laughs> in his description of himself and his background. Uh, he is a, a grower himself, farms a little bit on the side, um, has done a lot of these things. And, um, and in my mind, that brings a lot of value in, into kind of what you talk about and, and how you go about talking about it. So there's a lot of difference between talking about it and trying to make it work on your own place. And so um, I, I think there's a lot of value in, in uh, learning those lessons close to home so that when you do walk into a room, um, you're not really selling an idea as much as you're just providing your experience. And so... I think that I think that's valuable, and I, I I'm feel privileged to have had that opportunity to learn some of this stuff on my own. And then also, I wouldn't underestimate the fact that I've worked with some uh, really sharp folks that are uh, deep into soil health and regenerative ag, and have a, a great understanding. So I've, I've benefited from that as well. For sure, yeah. You hit the nail on the head with uh, you know providing your experiences because you know kind of the genuineness of your topic and and how you go about presenting it really kind of, it definitely comes across to, to growers or, or whoever you're talking to as many folks with, with carbon markets and, and things that are out there that are running around talking about cover crops. It's, it's refreshing to, to talk to somebody who's actually done it. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. What I wanted to, to, there's this is a tough, a tough one to start. And, and the first question I'm going to ask you is, is one, that we like, it could start a three-hour conversation, so we have to be careful here. I'll stop. Um, I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> Cameron will get bored and he'll stop. <laughs> <us>. <laughs> but uh, 
before we kind of get into some of the nuts and bolts of, uh, of kind of what to plant, when to plant, how to plant, and those kind of things, and what, what some of your recommendations are, let's take a 30,000-foot level uh, shot here and go with why would a grower want to plant cover crops? What are some of the end goals that most folks have in mind uh, in that decision? So I look at that from a couple of different places. Um, you know, I think perspective is important. And one of the things that I think about is the fact that there are a lot of folks that are concerned about water quality. They're concerned about wildlife habitat. They're concerned about um, the environment and the impact that agriculture has on the environment. And, and frankly, we are outnumbered by those people, those of us that are engaged in production agriculture. Yep. So there's a perspective that I, I think that is important in that if we don't address some of these uh, concerns ourselves on the farm, someone's going to do it for us. And so when I drive down the road and I see a uh, topsoil that's washed out over the top of a blacktop, or uh, I see a, a stream after a rainfall event that is just, you know, looks like chocolate milk, I think we're begging for regulation. And the last thing, as a, as a government employee, the last thing that I want to see is more regulation. And so there's, there's that perspective to it. Um, as someone who has uh, been around the farm all my life, I recognize that everything we have is something that we've purchased. And so there's that aspect of it in terms of if I see erosion, I know that that's soil that's leaving the farm that, that we paid for. Or we're trying to pay for one of the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, most, most of us still in the process. Yeah, and, and, and not only is it the soil, we know that there's fertilizer involved, yep. and there's nutrients. There's perhaps a, a a pesticide application. So there's a lot of things from an economic standpoint that I think about that I think are important to address. There's just uh, erosion. Um, you know, uh, the impact that erosion has and, and not just erosion in terms of losing productivity, but just farmability. Yep. Uh, who wants to bounce over uh, an ephemeral gully that turns into a classic gully that has to be addressed every year? So there's all of those things, uh, what we talk about at NRCS, uh, resource concerns. So there's that aspect of it. Then we think about, is there a potential here to add a profit center? What, what would it be like if we were to engage in cover crops every year at the level that will allow us to uh, graze animals in a, in a way that's profitable that we haven't before? So is there, is there an option there that might work? So those are a lot of the things I think about at a high cut level. And I think that, you know, not just me, but I think a lot of people are looking at that now. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and you're right. I think there's there's a lot of whether or not you agree, like, or trust in any carbon market out there. There's been a lot of press, and if any, and and again, I'm I'm probably like the worst eternal optimist, but I feel like it's positive, and and it's it's really it's kind of put some of these practices, and if we're going to do it in the name of carbon sequestration or or whatever, it still solves the dirt in the ditch problem, right? So it, it whatever the cause is, I'm good with it. And, and so uh, there's been a lot of press and just a lot of talk and buzz around cover crops, mm -hmm. which I don't feel like is a bad thing. And I, and I feel like it, it, it is genuine because it's kind of maintained that talk and, and buzz. I mean, we, we were losing tons and tons of soil in July this year with oh, the major God. rain events that we had. And it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to see. Well, so, when, you, when you have a 12-inch rain event in 24 hours, yes. what do you do? 
to guard against that? What can you do to armor the soil? Structural practices will only do so much in a situation like that. So I think we have some answers. We have, This provides some more tools in our toolbox. Correct. So uh, we just need to learn how to use them. That's exactly right. And I think planting planting a cover crop, that, and this is something I harp on all the time, most of our cash crops are only actively growing three and a half, four months of our 12-month year. And, and so just having something out there protecting the soil. I mean, I know we've, we've gone to erosion, but there's there's tons of other benefits. And like I said, right. we're, we're not going to get into all of that today. We probably should take a... Uh, all right. You know, nutrient cycling, water oh cycling, my gosh. biology, yes. all, all those things. Absolutely. We've, we've proven that these are effective at, at nearly all of what you just said. So, so for sure. weed control. Um, yeah. You know, moisture retention. Yep. Yep. All that kind yeah. of stuff. So just resiliency of the entire system. So there's a, there's a few scenarios that I want to dive into here. And, and I think maybe we should preface kind of what we're going to talk about by, by saying what, what we talked about before we turned the mic on, which was that what we're probably going to discuss are things that are going to be recommendations for folks who want to try something, have been thinking about trying something, maybe work with folks who are trying things relatively new. And, and our, and the thought process behind that would be that, you know, for a grower or, or someone who, um, is, is kind of deep into this and has been doing it for a long time, you know, we assume they don't need your eyes (laughs) advice on what to plant. They they probably found something that works, but for somebody wanting to, wanting to incorporate this into their management, uh, system, let's work through some of these scenarios. So the first one that, that I think is extremely timely simply because I've had multiple phone calls about this in the last seven days. So I know it's timely cover crops after silage. And do you want to kind of go into, we're bringing, we're being pretty hard on the system when we pull corn silage off of an acre. And so I don't know if maybe you can touch on that and, and, and let's kind of go into then how that leads us into a decision-making process for getting something else planted. Well, you know, the, the nice thing about, uh, after silage is the window of time that we have to actually do something beneficial. Right. So if you think about it in the terms of we're, we're, what we're trying to do is put sunlight in the soil. Well, what does that mean? Well, we know that the system is, is driven by the biology in the soil. That's that's really the, the part of it that we've missed in the past, but we're coming to understand. And we know that that biology is uh, sustained by root exudates. And so those exudates are a result of photosynthesis. And so what we need is a plant in place with roots in the soil that will feed that biology. So silage allows us the time, the opportunity to plant uh, something, get a fair amount of growth and, uh, and, and help feed that biology. But it also allows us to have a, a little bit greater um, diversity of species because the window of time. So, you know, if we're late in November trying to do something, our, our opportunities are very, very limited. But in September or even late August, then we can start talking about yep. a lot of different legumes. Uh, maybe even still, if we're a little bit gutsy, try some some kind of warm season grass. There's there's opportunity then. So um, that's what I would be thinking about is a little more diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what your situation is, if you want to graze those in the fall, you've got time to to think about that and put something in place that will allow you to do that. And then also, uh, you know, add some protein to the system. So talk, we're talking about adding some legumes because you'll get some growth on those. Right. 
Right. And that, and yeah, you hit the nail on the head just because we're oftentimes in the upper Midwest or I don't know, would you consider us upper Midwest, middle to upper Midwest, both. We're, depends on who you talk to. Yeah. Wrong board, right? Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Um, it, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're a lot of times we're short on growing season. Once we harvest our cash crop and with silage, we've got, uh, warmer soil temperatures. We can get different species to, to germinate and actually do something and do well. We could still plant those species in late October, but they're just not going to get any growth or any benefit out of planting those. When you look to something like silage, my first thought would go to, uh, ground cover, right? Cause we've removed it all in the, in the silage operation. Right. So, so what would you look to in that scenario to, to incorporate there? Uh, so a good government answer, it depends, <laughs> right? So, you know, what's our resource concern? Is it just armoring the soil? Or are we going to, are we thinking about grazing? Are we, are we thinking about, um, and I, I hesitate to say this, but the reality is uh, some people may want to think, take a hay crop in the spring. So is that part of the equation? Sure. Um, and the reason I hesitate is because we're removing so much organic matter on a system like that, that it would be nice to give it a rest and, and actually add organic matter back to the system. But I would be looking probably at something that would allow me to plant once and do everything I want to do. So what's that mean? It means I'm going to use some diversity in a cereal mix. I will have some cereal rye. I might have some triticale or depending on if I'm grazing or not, maybe some uh, barley. Uh, if I'm wanting some fast growth, then I'm going to add some oats to that. Yep. So those would be the things that I would probably use to armor, add organic matter, root mass. Cereal rye is, it's hard to beat in a lot of different, it's not the best cover crop, but it is hard to beat in terms of being good in a lot of different places. So I would think about those species and then depending on what your budget is, uh, maybe adding some legumes to that. Crimson clover, uh, veg, depending on what your crop rotation is, you might consider that, but there's some opportunities there to do some of those things. So you said multiple things there that's gonna trigger me to ask you more questions. For a lot of this folk, a lot of these guys running silage, they're trying to maximize feed tons off of a fairly limited number of acres. Right. In a lot of scenarios, um, if they've got the opportunity to rotate into something else the following year from a cash crop scenario, that's, that's obviously ideal. Some of these folks don't. And so if that acre is going back to silage the following year again, does that change your recommendation at all or not? It won't change the species. It might change the way I manage the species. So if I'm going back to corn for silage, then um, I might, depending on, on what type of, tillage system I'm using, whether it's a no-till till or a minimum or depending, uh, I might start thinking about when I'm going to terminate. Right. That would be the, that would be the thing that I would start thinking. I don't think it would change my species, Okay. but it would change when I terminate. And I guess it may change my species. If I'm going to terminate early, I'm probably not going to put, I'm probably going to be a little more thoughtful about the money I spent on a legume. Yep. Right. So that would be the, the question mark. Yep. Because the, the value for that legume uh, grows exponentially the longer we allow it to persist into the spring. Correct. Correct. That's yeah. one thing I definitely wanted you to hit on because a lot of times we, we think of, we all want nitrogen credits, sure. right? My right. goodness, with 
fertilizer prices the way they are, I want nitrogen credits. Right. But you don't get those just by seeding something. You get it from the biomass that it is producing. And, and, and so not just and, and it's not just having it there, but the, the numbers show us that, you know, we're all the way into the middle of June before we really start seeing huge in numbers out of a legume cover crop. Correct. And, right. And we really it's hard for any well, to want to wait that long. Well, yes. you got to think about just the biology of legumes and how, how are we producing that nitrogen credit? I mean, it's by utilizing the bacteria that's in the soil yep. to be fixating nitrogen and utilizing that. And so it's a living organism. So in the early spring, you know, early spring where the weather is cooler, yep. that's not active as much. So right. you're not, you're not gaining those credits until as the soil start warming up and things start getting active. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And like I said, I've had this conversation with, with folks and, and it, yeah, if they're not willing to, to push that termination back into late April, at least early May, then in my mind, we may not get much benefit out of some of those fairly expensive species. We won't get a lot of end benefit. Right. Cor- correct. We still get some diversity benefit. That's exactly correct. But, but yep. the, the, the something that we, we know that we can calculate in dollars and cents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, there's there's certainly value to, to having some diversity out there. So what would be the impacts of, because you said you hesitated to say, you know, hang the cover crops, but what would be the impacts of, you know, if you were using the same acres for silage after silage after silage, hang to get, you know, potential for more tonnage in those instances, you know, you're utilizing the silage as tonnage, but then hang, you know, instead of terminate, you know, using that as your termination. So, you know, over time, I think that that would be a, a difficult system to uh, maintain without a lot of inputs. Right. Now then, you know, depending on what's available to you, do you have chicken litter available? Yeah. So that changes the equation a little bit, yeah, right? Absolutely. Because you're importing nutrients and organic matter. So I think it's not that you can't do that, but it's just that I think you have to be really thoughtful about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And and yeah, think long-term. Think how much you're removing um, from that system. It's a good question, Cameron, and, and kind of brought up something that I, that I want you to to go ahead and discuss a little bit. Yes, I would caution from haying, but I would not necessarily caution from using that as livestock feed. Talk to me about the difference between sending the cows out there to get it themselves versus taking it off with hay equipment. You know, the the uh, ability for a cow to go out there and, and graze at all, I, I don't think we are fully understand the value of that yet. I mean, we, we do, but because most of our fields don't have fences and, mm-hmm. and waterers, uh, the thought of trying to set that up is a little more than what we want to, you know, we're set up to hay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we understand that we can do that pretty quick. Um, I always say there's too many unemployed lawyers to turn out a cow against an electric fence along the <laughs> road, you know, that, that might turn against us, yep. uh, cheap feed, but if, if a cow gets on the road, that could be tragic. So, I think it's difficult to to consider that, although I think it is an, uh, an outstanding way to utilize that forage. And, you know, uh, we, we talk a lot about pugging, about the hoof traffic, about compaction, but most of the time when we're haying uh, a field that's going to some cash crop or back to silage, it's probably a little wet to be out there packing the ground with a tractor and a mower and a tractor and a rake and a tractor and a baler. Right. So we're getting, it's not, I think those right. things probably 
equal themselves out. Probably so. If, if anything, the cow traffic is going to be a lot more shallow, the compaction that you get out of a, out of a hoof. So yeah. if I had to choose between the compaction, I'd probably take the cow or the uh, equipment. But I think that that's, if you're set up for that, uh, I think that's outstanding. And, and, Correct. And we're not even going down the road about uh, the impact that the cow has on on the biology. Yep. Yep. Uh, so that's a benefit as well. Not For just sure. the, the financial benefit of grazing and not having to hay, but also the benefit of uh, the biology. I have terminated with grazing before, and and uh, I think it's I think it's a way to do it if you can. Again, it takes takes some infrastructure, water and fence. Yeah. For sure. For sure. But there's just a very significant difference. You may be removing almost the same amount of material, but with what those cows are leaving behind out there is just, it's night and day different, I guess. I mean, you're, you're still taking some of the biomass and turning it into feed, but it is, you're not, you're not talking about the same operation. It's completely different. You're right. I mean, in terms of the amount of organic matter and nutrients that are leaving the field, there's no comparison. The cow leaves most of that behind. Right. Yeah. A pound of beef just doesn't remove that much. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So there's a lot of benefit to that. But just being able to set up to do that is the problem. Right. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, yeah, I understand. I have those logistical concerns sure. on my own farm. Yep. I, <laughs> I completely understand that. Back to something else you said earlier that I want you to touch on. You, men- you mentioned that it may not change your species that you plant, but it's going to change your termination date. Walk me through why that changes. So a lot of that comes down to your personal uh comfort level with what you're willing to plan into. Our conversation today is mostly geared towards folks that are just getting started. And, uh, you know, the number one rule of soil health is, well, my number one rule of soil health, I should say, is do no harm, right? So I want anyone who's trying covers for the first time to still be successful. And so not having to manage a lot of biomass in the spring is helpful. Yep. And so that's why I'm saying I might terminate a little early if I'm trying to plant a cash crop early, just so I don't have that biomass, even if I'm doing tillage, yep. I just don't have that biomass to manage. Right. right. So that's why termination becomes a, a question mark. I've worked with folks that are planting corn into six foot tall cereal rye and, and successfully doing it. Would I recommend that to anyone? Nope. Yes. Definitely not. <laughs> but yep. this this particular individual is doing it and is successful at it. Right. So can it be done? Yes. But there's a lot that goes into that. Yep. And it would take, you know, a month of podcast to, to cover all those details. Yes. So I'm saying in our conversation today, I think we want to think about managing that cover uh, so that we get the benefit of having roots in the soil, of armoring the soil, of doing all those things. But at the same time, we're able to effectively plant uh, the next spring. All right, let's let's touch a little bit on uh, how you'd like to see that seeded out there in this scenario. Yeah. Yep, and maybe like a maybe you don't have to give me rates for every species, but just kind of generally, kind of what you like to see total pounds of seed planted. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of a prescriptive type uh, guy. I like to think about what it is I'm trying to do. So if I'm on a 
on sort of a, a steeper eroded type hillside that I'm going to bump those rates up a little bit. Yep. If, if this is a field that we have a hard time getting it to dry out, then I'm going to probably be a little light on my seeding rate just so I can still get sunlight to the soil. Yep. If wheat controls the issue, then I'm going to have to address that with a little bit heavier. So it, I'm, I'm prescriptive. We generally, if we look at the NRCS standard, we're going to be around 50 pounds on our uh, drilled rate. So, or planted. Yep. So that's that's probably a pretty good number to work off of somewhere in that neighborhood. That uh, that being said, you know we do talk about broadcast a little bit, and broadcast is is just hit and miss depending on the rainfall event that, that right. you have uh, close to whenever it is you broadcast. So broadcasting is probably better than not doing anything but not by much. It, it really just comes down to whether it rains or not and what that rainfall event's like. So right. really like to see it either drilled or use a uh, planter, 15-inch yep. planter. Yep. That works good. A lot of, not very many drills anymore. And if there are, you know, they're 15 feet and, and that's hard. Takes hard, a long time. Takes a long time. Hard to get people excited about that, but there's still, you know, there's a lot of 40-foot planters in the countryside. So yep. and that's setting right. up to plant uh, a cover crop with a, with a planter is not that hard. It's, you know, that's yep. something that we can do and do successfully. So. Yeah, correct. Well, you know, you just think about it like our cash crops, when we were planting because we're making sure we're getting good soil to seed contact, you know, it's the same, it's the same concept. You just, if you're broadcasting out there, you're not guaranteeing good soil seed contact. You're really just hoping that mother nature gives us that nice gentle half inch rain over, you know, so many hours and, yeah. you know, pushes right down the soil. But how many times do we get that in Missouri? Never. Well, and that's so. a good point. It, it really, what we're talking about is seed soil contact. Yep. So when I first started, I would spread the P and K with the seed mm-hmm. and then run a VT tool over the top of that. And, and it was a VT tool. It was not a disc that had been to the marketing department. Yes. And re, re-decaled as a VT. It was actually yeah. a VT tool. There's another podcast topic. Yes. Yeah. So it really was. Yes. And we ran it shallow and we had good success from that. To your point, I think that seed soil contact is the key and try to get that without creating an erosion event. Right. Yes. If that makes sense. Yep. yep. One other thing that... I wanted to kind of touch on with your with your rate scenarios, and obviously we're probably going to talk about cost share at some point. So if if, if you're getting that, and you have to go within our CS rates, obviously, right? Right. But just as a preface thing with with our cereal grains, sometimes it goes into my thought process is if we can plant early, like what we're doing in a silage scenario, you've got a lot more time for tillering on those cereal grains. Right. So we can, in my mind get by with less in those earlier planted scenarios than if we're going out there and the stuff may may not hardly germinate before it freezes up. We, we, we need more seed at that point. In a lot of those scenarios where there's manure involved, we're gonna, we're gonna be stimulating that, that cover crop. And so maybe we don't need as much poundage in the, in the grain, cereal grain department. And it would, it would depend on how quickly you need to arm the soil. Yeah. That true. Yep. So that that and that goes yep. back to what kind of slope are we talking about? Sure. And the erodibility of that soil. All right, Cameron, did we cover silage? I think so. Okay, because this is not the order I had them written down in. I always like to point out my faults when I write stuff down for kind of like what we're going to talk about. I usually like to cover how much I deter from what I actually write down, but because we kind of have talked about some of the stuff on going back to corn. Let's shift gears and pretend that now we don't have silage 
we are looking at a corn soybean rotation. We want to plant something. So we call that an oscillation. Okay. Just back a corn, and forth. corn soybean oscillation. I That's forgot right. forgot who I was talking to right. there for a second. Uh, <laughs> um, so we're going, we've got soybeans planted. Uh, we want to plant something after that soybean harvest going, going to corn next year. Talk, talk to me about what you'd recommend in that scenario and, and your thought process there. So, again, it's going to depend on when we are able to plant. So, when did we harvest soybeans and how much uh, time is there before uh, the, the soil temperature gets too cool for germination? If we have time, I think for, an early, for someone who's early in a system, I really like to see oats and radishes as that cover crop because they will grow well in the fall, they will uh, freeze kill in the winter, mm -hmm. and you can start the next year essentially like you would have anyway. Right. But you've had the benefit of that growing root and, uh, and organic matter that they, they, they brought. So that's one scenario. If we're later in the season, then I start thinking about just going back to a cereal of some sort. Um, and, and again, we're back to how we're going to terminate that. We're going to terminate it early so that we don't have to fight the management of a lot of biomass if we're early in a system and we're still trying to understand how to make this work. You know, we think about a green bridge between wheat and corn, that's something to consider. Those are all things that we have to manage, but if we're going to plant a cover crop and we're going to do it after we've harvested soybeans, maybe the end of October, the 1st of November, we're going to be limited on what yes. we can plant. And we're looking probably at wheat or cereal rye or triticale at that point. Correct. What's your thought process? Forget, forget the NRCS standard. Okay. What's your thought process on shifting gears from oats to wheat or triticale slash cereal rye on as say we're in central to North Missouri. Mm -hmm. What's your thought process on that that date of when you kind of make the decision, okay, it's too late, I'm going to go buy wheat instead of oats? oats. Yeah. You know, I'll probably start, I'll start thinking about that the 1st of October, maybe even last week of September. And and with just the soybean varieties that we're planting, I mean, there's very few beans that get cut that early. So that's a, something to, yeah. Right. And so, you know, this is maybe something to think about if you're if you're going to start a system a soil health system is there a percentage of your acres that you could plant to a, a three four soybean or a, right a three two even you know would you consider that because we know we're going to give up a little yield in some years when we do that but do we see the benefit of of that cover crop going in early and then we go right back into the conversation of can i graze those acres because then then the financial aspect of that is good even yep. though we're losing some bushels, maybe we're grazing those acres. We're getting the benefit. So lot to lot to unpack there. Definitely, because you're being able to graze acres, get tonnage from it, and you know maybe save some of your stockpiled fescue for later on. So then you're not feeding hay, you yep. know, later in the season, which could be totally another topic. Yes, we've come up with a lot of topics so far. We've got a long list of topics. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that's yeah. Hopefully that transitions to content coming from this one that we're working on right now. Let's talk a little bit about your, your thought process on, on the wheat versus triticale versus cereal rye. 
on something that's going to corn. Um, because I know my preference in that scenario, and you, and you talked about a termination plan there. Um, I think we know that when we try to set dates in April or May of next spring and say, we're going to be in there terminating that cover crop on that date, circle that on the calendar. I think we all can remember, even though it's September, what the weather typically is in April and May and, and how prompt we can be in those dates sometimes. So I guess my thought in that scenario and, and prove me wrong or tell me I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but, but my thought in that scenario is, is to go with a species that is not going to get away from you if you're seven to 10 days later than what you circled on the calendar from a biomass perspective in the spring. So then you're starting to talk about barley. You're something that barley not, or wheat. Yeah. It's not going to get huge. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, that's something to consider. Yeah, I think that's a good good thing. That's a good conversation to have. The, the benefit, I guess, of, oh, I shouldn't say benefit, but one of the things to consider about a cool, wet spring is that it does delay the growth pattern of cereal rye. That's true. So if we're in that situation, we can probably still manage that if it's one of those long springs that, extends into what we think of as being warm weather. But the, the, the main thing is when the day presents itself to terminate, you have to be able to terminate. Yep. And that's, that's a, if you own your own sprayer, uh, that may be easier to achieve or may not, you know, yeah. because mm-hmm. usually that means if you own your own, you probably got more acres to cover and, and uh, more things to do. And it's just harder to get there. But right. regardless of how you look at that, I think that's probably the the take home is on the day that it's ready, be prepared, make sure you're ready. Yep. Yep. I agree. Easy to talk about around this microphone. Hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's very easy to sit around and talk about. Now I know we probably don't have time to go into it, but do you want to talk a little bit about CDN ratio and why we don't want that stuff to get real big before planting corn? You know, just real simplistically the, the, uh, the more carbon, so that's the that, that's the biomass that we see produced, and that's both above ground and below ground, root mass and uh, what we see above ground. The more carbon there is there, the more tie-up we have with nitrogen. So when we're thinking about going into corn, and we know that nitrogen management is the probably the number one, besides stand, it's the, yeah. the, the thing that we have to concern ourselves with, we have just cause that to become a whole lot more complicated when we have lots of carbon in the system that we don't yet have the nitrogen in the system to uh, to break that carbon down. So that's another reason for early termination is because we don't have that carbon to tie up nitrogen that we're gonna apply for that corn to have later on in the season. Yeah, yeah I think that kind of goes into something else too is, is Maybe, you know, there's talks of a little pathy, um, especially going to corn when you think about cereal rye. Can you talk about whether is there really is concerns on that or is it kind of like the carbon nitrogen ratio? You know, yeah. maybe we think it's a little pathy, but it's right. actually the tie up of nitrogen because we waited too long to t- terminate. So, so the allelopathy is the compounds that, that is exuded from the alleles. Those are very shallow roots in the, in the cereal rye. So... If we're planting corn at an inch and a half, we're well below where that uh, compound is released into the soil. 
And I think that even though we've heard a lot about the allelopathic effect of silver on island corn, I think what we've actually been seeing is a nitrogen issue. We've attributed that to the allelopathy. So I don't think that's an issue. I do think nitrogen management cannot be overstated. Yep. Thank you for saying that. I, I'm the host. I don't get to talk. I know. But. Well, I thought I'd ask the question to make, <laughs> so that you felt good about it. Allelopathy gets blamed for a lot of things that it's not. I I feel like it. We're taking a we're taking a yield penalty because we've managed our nitrogen incorrectly, and well said. So I appreciate that. I, I have seen too much good corn planted into huge rye to believe that that's the issue. Yep. But that good corn that was planted into huge rye had a nitrogen program. That was second to nine. Yes. Right. Agreed. 100%. All right. Let's turn to the other half of our oscillation. I got that right this time. Oscillation. Um, we, want, we want a rotation. We right? want we a rotation. Hey, we're talking about incorporating things that can help us if, get there. If we can get a cover crop in that system, we are moving into a rotation. Yes. That's right. I like it. All right. So after corn, going into soybeans now. Talk us through your thought process there. So that one is a little bit easier because... Uh, you know, planting soybeans into into a cover crop is is not difficult. Uh, pretty much anything will work. You can, you can terminate early. You can, and I would recommend that still, just for an early uh, first time into the into the program into the system. I still think that's a good way to go, just so you can get some um, experience. But Adam, and you've had this experience planting into big soil rye. You can do it and be successful. So. You might hold out a few acres just to practice, right? But it's irregardless of species. Yep. Uh, I like a blend. Some seed companies will actually have a blend that's a little bit cheaper because they're taking a lot of different cereals and putting them together. I am not, when I say that, I am not speaking about annual ryegrass. So I want to make that distinction and make that clear. Yep. Cereal rye, annual ryegrass, very different. If you plant annual ryegrass, and I wouldn't recommend it, you do not want variety not stated because it becomes an issue with termination. You, you have to stage annual ryegrass correctly to terminate it. And when you have variety not stated, then you have a lot of different, potentially a lot of different uh, varieties and they're going to mature at different times and it's gonna be difficult to stage that yes. and get it to uh, terminate. So that's a different conversation, one that probably yeah, we would want to maybe go a little deeper in if we were going that way, but we're not we're not recommending annual ryegrass for early uh, in a system. We're talking about cereal rye, we're talking about uh, winter barley, we're talking about uh, wheat, trip kale. A blend of those, I think, is great because you'll see different species expressed differently on different parts of the field. For, and I don't know the answer to why that is. Yeah, uh, but but it, it gives you the opportunity to make sure you have something everywhere. So I like a blend. I mean, I like, I really like that thought process. It, again, we're trying to put some organic matter out there, right? That's why we're, that's why I think most of your recommendations have been fairly heavy on the cereal grains and it's a timing thing, but it's also, that's, that's what we're lacking in a lot of systems or, or that would certainly be a, a big step in the right direction in a lot of these systems in, in building that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my, my experience is mostly in North Missouri, and for your customer base in the southern part of the state, they might see this a little differently. Sure. They'd have different species available to them, but the principle is the same. Yes. Armor the soil, put roots in the ground, 
you know, have some diversity. Those principles are going to be the same regardless. It's yep. easier for us to do that in late October, uh, early November with the Cyril in North Correct. Right. Correct. And I want to touch on your, your termination thought process there too. You're right. So most, I would also recommend if, if, if you're very new to it, terminating fairly early, most growers across our trade territory, no matter where, are fully comfortable no-tilling soybeans into corn stalks, right? And if, if we're terminating that cover crop relatively early, we really haven't changed that system very much. We're From a residue perspective, mm-hmm. we're still basically planting into that, those same conditions. Mm-hmm. Now, if we let it stay green and stay alive and we're planting into growing, actively growing cereal rye, we, we've changed that a little bit. We've added a lot of residue to for somebody to have to deal with. Now, it's manageable, but, but we've added a lot. What I always say, and the, and you can either tell me I'm right or wrong, where I see the most mistakes with cover crops going to soybeans is a termination somewhere in between those two scenarios. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. So either we missed the, the early termination and we go ahead and terminate and we still want to wait two weeks before we plant the beans or, you know, there's just, I've seen a lot of mess ups in that, in that gap in between. If your goal is to hairpin, if that's your goal, <laughs> then, then terminate and wait two weeks. If you will hairpin the mess out. <laughs> yeah. It gets yeah. tough, it gets rubbery and, yes. and that's a disaster. Planting green is to me the easiest as far as getting good seed soil contact and, and making all that work. Uh, and really, if you think about it, you got, we, we, we think about tillage as a way to provide a uniform seed bed, right? right? Right. A cover crop does the same thing. If we have a good uh, uniform stand of covers, they provide a uniform seed bed to plant into. And when they're green, they allow the planter to actually work. They're, they're, because they're still standing upright, the, the openers can sneak down through there and, and, and do their job. Yes. But but if we if we spray them, yeah, and they they start to uh, you know senesce or, or uh, terminate, oh, that gets tough. That well, gets tough. and another thing that that I I completely agree, and I don't know that it, you said it's easy. Uh, having done it, if you've prepared, if you know what you're getting into, and you've prepared your equipment and your mindset. I agree with you. If you're used to tilled field conditions, right? That's a good point. Uh, good point. It's, but honestly, it's more of a mindset thing. It's it's a mental hurdle, right? When you're out there in the middle of that field trying to plant soybeans, right. it, it really is. Right. But another thing is that you know we wait and wait and wait in the spring for optimal planting conditions, right? We're trying to get the soil, and a lot of times, and I'm talking about our trade territory, North Missouri. You know, a lot of times Southwest Missouri, same same scenario. We're waiting and waiting and waiting until we have dry enough soil conditions to plant. When we terminate that cover crop, we just add a huge blanket to the top of the soil. And I always say we take the T out of ET, right? So um, we were transpiring, you know, transpiring water up through those actively growing plants. And we immediately stop that as soon as we put glyphosate on it or whatever we put on there. And so you have a soil that is incredibly hard to dry out at that point as soon as you do that. And so if you're going to terminate that crop before planting, that's why we always say small, because we're, we're still getting sunlight on direct soil contact and yeah. we're able to evaporate water still. So. That's true. And the other side of that's true as well. If, if we allow that soil cover to get to get large, it can pump a lot of water out of the ground yep. to the point that you are now planting into something that's probably too dry. Yeah. 
And yep, yep. there's a detriment to that. So, you know, there's a little bit of a fine line that you have to manage there. And for folks that are just getting started, if you terminate early, you won't have to manage that. Something that, you know, we talked a lot on, you know, utilizing cereal rye, um, you know, some of these that are not going to freeze kill. You know, there's been talks, you, you know, some people put out turnips or tillage radishes or they overseed their corn even before they may harvest. Kind of talk about some benefits of that or some, maybe some negatives of that too and by not having, you know, having something that's freeze kill, you know, because we didn't really talk about utilizing those or in blends. Well, you know, those that, that are going to freeze kill, I, the, probably the, the thing that you're going to give up is just persistence into the spring growing season. Right. Um, so if one of our principles is a growing root 365 days, we're giving up yep. some days Yeah. When we, when we have something that terminates due uh, based on temperature in the wintertime. So that's probably the, that's probably the, the thing that we're giving up there. Other yep. than that, they're a little washy, so they're not going to, they're not going to armor the soil for as long. Yep. So we're going to lose a little protection, but it's not maybe as as bad as not having anything there because even though that that top uh, yep. is gone we still have a lot of root mass in the soil to help hold the soil together so i think yep. there's still a lot of armor benefit it's just yep. not as dramatic as that cereal that's still growing yep absolutely what i always say is is don't give up the good trying to get to the great right right so if if what we've got is a corn soybean oscillation like we've covered Man, if we could just have something growing until freeze up, that is one heck of a lot better than what we had previous. Baby so, steps. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So if, if that's a step in the right direction for a grower, I, yeah, fully support that. You're, you work for an RCS, and I, I probably can't have you on here without um, without talking a little bit about cost share dollars. Uh, and, and I know you're familiar with other programs too, so that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick this to you. We've kind of talked about, and I, I hope we touched well enough on the societal benefits that we're providing by implementing these practices. That is why there's so much cost share available mm -hmm. to implement them. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about NRCS, about state cost share, about revenue streams that folks can get to at least get started. Yeah, you know, I think you make a good point. Um, it's not free money, right? No. This is the, the taxpayers through their um, through legislative bodies have determined this is important to them. And they want to they want to participate in water quality and soil erosion and, and uh, you know making things better on the farm. So there's opportunity through both federal and state uh, cost share programs. So federal we think of Equip, and that's the Environmental Quality Incentive Program, and then we think of uh, CSP Conservation Stewardship Program as being two opportunities. Uh, federally that those are probably the larger ones there's some others as well yeah and then uh, through the state culture program which is you know in Missouri I, a lot of folks don't recognize how forward-thinking the state of Missouri is through the state culture program it has done an uh, it does a phenomenal job of getting conservation on the ground and so there's another opportunity and and so here's here's the best thing I can tell you is if you're interested in that Find your local USDA service center, call them, and have a conversation. If you were interested in that today, I know that there would not be an, an opportunity through federal 
CallShare to uh, assist you with what you're going to plant this week. Right. That's a longer process and one that you would want to start now. Um, I'm not sure about state cost share. They're, they depend on where you are. That, that could depends on the county. Depends on the county. So yep. my best advice would be uh, for you to look into that, and that program is there to benefit you. And so yep. you know it, it provides some offset. It's not going to maybe pay for everything 100%, but it at least provides you some offset so that you can uh, better understand how this works and how it works in your field, on your farm, and your management. And it gives you some risk some management. Risk management. That's, That's how right. I look at it for the first couple of years. Yep. It's you're you're jumping off a cliff, and and if that can provide a little bit of a parachute to help you sail down, then then so and be you're it. probably going to get in contact with someone that has some experience locally when you uh, when you visit with those folks more, more than likely, and so there's another stream of information that'll be handy for sure. Yeah, for sure, and covered well. I think we don't we don't hit on the the whole state cost share thing enough, and sometimes cost share dollars don't have their own PR agency, right? So um, I think we sometimes take for granted the amount, the number of people who actually understand what opportunities they really have out there. Right, and, and it's a it's a competitive process. So just because you sign up doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to uh, get a contract. But if you don't try, you certainly won't. So I just recommend yeah. everyone to look into that. Also, you you know the technical assistance that's provided. NRCS supports a lot of uh, workshops across the state. And those are good places to meet other farmers that are doing it. They're maybe a few years ahead of you, learn from those folks. They usually bring in some pretty good speakers. I know MFA has been a big supporter of those and and we appreciate that. Um, So, you know, that's a a good way to learn without being exposed financially. Yep, 100%. All right, David, again, I have to cut us off, which is very hard for me to do because there's a lot more I want to talk about, but Anything that you want to add real quick before we start to wrap up or anything that I guess on the cover crop front that we didn't cover that you really feel like we, we may definitely need to? Well, you know, I think I think we've, we've done a pretty good job of, uh, of at least providing enough information to make people curious. We probably, we haven't answered all the questions. Sure. But uh, there's a lot to, to be uh, uncovered here. And the thing about it is there's a lot of folks that are, um, engaged a lot of producers that are fully engaged in this and and so there's a there's a body of information out there if you're interested uh, we can get you in contact with those folks mm-hmm. right um, I always tell people that uh, I have several number one rules of soil health I, I gave you one already do no harm yep uh, another number one rule I have is uh, if your mother says she loves you check it out so the, the thought behind that is everything that we talk about is is true but it may not apply to where you are where you farm the county you're in so you need to you need to drill down on on what we've talked about and make sure that it applies on your farm that's exactly right and i appreciate you saying that because you can you can go down a dark hole on youtube watching them stuff that may everything on youtube is true yeah just doesn't always apply (laughs) that's exactly right (laughs) Yeah. yeah it applies to whatever acre that is being applied on in that video Right, and, right. and that acre is not your acre unless you're a YouTuber. Right, so, yes. uh, so exactly right. I, I appreciate you adding that for sure. Yeah. Just like you said, you can't give blanket. It's hard to give a blanket um, prescription for everything. You have to have field-based, situational-based prescriptions. Um, you know, just depending on where you're at, it's going to have to, it needs to be prescribed. And know? a lot of this comes down to our ability to manage. Yep. Uh, we, we say that cover crops will make a, a good farmer better and a poor farmer worse. 
That's exactly right. There's something to it. So, uh, <laughs> yep. and I've, I've been on both sides of that, I think. So, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm blue. I, yep. I feel you. Okay. Let's switch gears. And uh, you're not an MFA employee, David. We're going to play this anyway because um, I think it, it's just, it's fun. And hopefully somebody learned something from the questions that we're going to go through. Absolutely. So, we're going to play a little game we call on the podcast uh, Stump the Staff Agronomist since you're sitting here with the staff agronomist right. for MFA. <laughs> so uh, if you could beat him at our little trivia game here. I will happily donate money to yes. MFA's charity, the Ronald McDonald House. That's right. So you're playing for all the marbles here. You didn't come prepared, so I'm going to give you a piece of paper and a pen. And uh, you got a pen, good government employee. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, question one. And some of this some of this we've covered a little bit, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how, how we go through uh, some of these questions. Question one. The C-to-N ratio, which is described as the ideal microbial diet, or above which we, term, we start to talk about nitrogen tie-up, is what? So the C-to-N ratio, which is described as the ideal microbial diet, is what? So at this ratio and below, we typically will not see t- nitrogen tie up. What do you got, David? Five to one. Five to one. That's a little low. I have 15 to one. <sighs> Neither one of you are right. Ideal microbial diet, 24 to one. Interesting. You're staring at me. <laughs> I don't feel like I can challenge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can't challenge the <laughs> trivia question. Ask her. <laughs> question two. What percentage of soil organic matter is comprised of carbon? Is it A, I'm going to give you choices here. Is it A, 75%, B, 26%, C, 47%, or D, 58%? What percentage of soil organic matter is comprised of carbon? I asked him this question on purpose because uh, during all carbon market discussions, um, Everybody immediately goes to soil organic matter. Start talking about organic matter. Not the same thing. It's carbon. Yeah. It's carbon. Okay. What do you got, Cameron? I have fifty-eight percent. It's either forty-seven or fifty-eight. Well, you got to give me one. I'll say fifty-eight. Okay, you both got it right. Fifty-eight percent. All right. Very nice. That's good. Okay. Question three. Cameron likes these growing degree day unit oh, questions. Oh. Um, <clears throat> How many growing degree units for corn to emerge? So once we put the seed in the ground, how many GDUs do we need to accumulate for that corn to break the surface? Typically. It's obviously an average number. David, what do you got? 120. 120 is correct. Cameron, what you got? I had a 75 is what I wrote yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wrote down. All right. Uh, it is two to one, Cameron, by my calculations. Not, Let's just stop right there. Okay. <laughs> I, really don't, I really don't like those GDU questions. <laughs> I, I thought you did. That's why I included they another one. They keep biting me back. Yep. Question four. Ah. And remember, David, again, you can't ask, you can't question the, the questionnaire here. I know. <laughs> According to the Morrow plots on the campus of the University of Illinois, organic matter levels currently are now approximately what percentage of what they were in unplowed prairie? So basically, how much have we depleted our organic matter levels? You've got A, B, C, or D? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be helpful, wouldn't it? But I don't. Cameron, I'm going to ask you first this time, I believe. Okay, I have 90% less. 90% less. Sure. Okay. When you got 75% less. Neither one of you got it. 
Organic matter levels are now approximately 50% of what they were in unplowed prairie. Now, this is University of Illinois. They have probably a little better soils than what we, not probably. They yeah, do have they better, better soils. I guess so because 75 is closer to 50 than 90. I'm you think you're going to get it? Right? Okay. <laughs> You're still ahead, all right? The Price is Right rule says he was over. So. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, question five. And I know we covered this one, so. I got to get this one. So, yeah, this is going to be, this may be tough for Cameron to come back on. Uh, the term VNS on a seed tag stands for what? The term VNS on a seed tag stands for what? Shows how much camera shaking his head. I think we covered this in the podcast. I, we probably did. Honestly, <laughs> it wasn't direct. It wasn't, it wasn't direct. It was mentioned, yeah. but it wasn't. Really I mean, direct. I didn't smack you over the head and say this is going to be a trivia question. Uh, I'm not sure. You're not sure. Variety not stated. Variety not stated yes. is the correct answer. Yes, we did cover that. <laughs> Cameron, Cameron, I we lost. are we are. Uh, <laughs> you did. Yeah, I definitely lost. It just just goes to show I got a lot to learn about soil health. I, I appreciate the humility. Uh, we all do. Yeah, we all do. I know. Yeah. He got you. So we will make a donation to the Ronald McDonald House. Absolutely. Thanks for playing along, David. Awesome. That was fun. Enjoyed it. Um, I, I like you. I, I like doing a PowerPoint on CDN ratio. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all right. Do. Hey, I'm going off of graphics. <laughs> well, David, thanks for taking the time to come over here today and, and sit down and talk through some of this with us. Um, I always enjoy talking about it. I don't know about Cameron. But appreciate you being here today, and, and thanks to everybody listening. I enjoy learning about it. Good. I've so. enjoyed being here. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you. It. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.